Hi friends, thank you for joining us again for the ASP Stories weekend bonus episode. Join us on Mondays and Thursdays where we interview amazing guests where they share with us about their adventure sports and the amazing feats that they have done. But ASP Stories is where we get to listen in as authors read their adventure stories to us. So sit back with your hot cup of tea or coffee and kick off your adventure-filled weekend by listening in while we hear more from ASP Stories. Greetings, Adventure Sports Podcast listeners. This is Brian Snyder of Santa Barbara, California, getting ready to share with you another tale from my off-the-map trilogy of adventure books. Each collection showcases the best of the many bad decisions I have made in pursuit of the most surreal and scenic outdoor experiences our planet has to offer. Today's story comes from the second book, Further Off the Map, 53 Tales of Adventure Along the Rougher Edges of American Wilderness. Last week's tale was a bit traumatic, so this time let's head into California's Sierra Nevada range for a bit of well-earned spectacle. Hope you enjoy. Week 13, Soaking in the Sierras. A moonbow. I couldn't believe it. I was staring at an actual moonbow. I stood awestruck in the rain and moonlight beneath a span of lava cliffs, a mute witness to the pale, ghostly arc of light that shimmered in the darkness at the foot of White Mountain. At my back, a half-moon shone through a break in the storm clouds, its light refracted by the raindrops falling above my head, creating the exceptionally rare image I saw hovering before me, an albino rainbow. All too soon, though, the drizzle diminished to nothing, and the moonbow dissolved away like a mirage. With a sigh, I watched it go. Seeing the moonbow here in the Owens Valley helped diffuse my anxiety about what the storms were doing in the high reaches of the Sierras, where the precipitation was undoubtedly falling as snow. Once the massive storm front moved aside, I planned to begin a six-day trek into the John Muir Wilderness. But considering that the ranger station was receiving reports of four-foot snowdrifts in the mountain passes, I expected the journey was not going to be as easy as I'd hoped. Luckily, when the hike began, I was able to benefit from the boot prints of those who had escaped the wilderness over the previous two days. The route over Bishop Pass into the heart of the Sierras was not difficult to follow, although the first snowstorm of autumn had blanketed the trail in the mountains with a thick layer that was only just beginning to melt through. The range of light glistened even brighter as a result. A palisade of white granite mountains encircled the land beyond the pass. The peaks looked raw and unweathered, as if they had been violently thrust through the crust of the earth only last week. In fact, the range was quite young, by geologic standards. Tectonic shifts had cracked the continent repeatedly over the last few million years, dropping nearby Death Valley below sea level and pushing the Sierras to heights above 14,000 feet. The temperatures at those heights were what had me worried. For the first few days, I labored to reach barren 12,000-foot passes, but before I could set up camp and rest, I had to descend low enough that I wouldn't freeze to death overnight. I pushed myself hard, hiking past sunset until the trees along the trail grew numerous enough to justify building a campfire. Both nights, I still ended up shivering in my sleeping bag, and my right elbow developed a serious case of tendonitis from using hiking poles to propel my body up and down the mountains. I couldn't even lift a water bottle without having pain shoot up my forearm. The second morning, I woke to the sound of a bear fumbling with my bear-proof food canister in a fruitless attempt to pry it open. I was glad I brought it, even though the weight of the heavy plastic had certainly contributed to my injuries. My whole body ached, 
so I resolved to reach Blaney Hot Springs by evening, believing that the therapeutic effects of the waters would make up for another punishingly long day on the trail. My right arm felt too crippled to risk injuring it further by using a hiking pole, so I leaned on my left pole as I entered Evolution Valley, wishing I had brought an extra supply of painkillers with me. Now, sometimes you have to wonder about the powers of positive intention, because an hour after I started hiking that morning, I stopped to pick up a Ziploc bag that was lying in the middle of the trail. It contained four maroon pills embossed with I-2. Ibuprofen! What unbelievable luck! I hadn't expected a pharmacy to materialize in the middle of the wilderness, of course, but this was almost as good. So after a personal record of backpacking 40 miles in three days, I arrived footsore and exhausted at Blaney Hot Springs. It was well worth the small detour, and since I'd been traveling off-season, I had the area all to myself. The springs consisted of a scattering of bathwater temperature pools in the midst of a soggy meadow. I couldn't wait to test them out, but first I needed to pitch the tent. A side trail led me to the most idyllic spot imaginable, a hidden pond ringed by willow trees and aspens whose leaves were just beginning to change to gold. Its beauty was doubled by the bright reflections in the still water, so that the place simply shone with the glory of autumn. And better still, someone had left behind a gray inflatable raft, which I instantly and joyfully appropriated for use as a mattress beneath my tent. Normally, I hate sleeping in the backcountry, because my bony frame and shortage of body fat make it too easy to feel the hard earth beneath me, even when using an insulation pad. When I lie on my side, it feels like my shoulder is being dislocated in slow motion. So finding an extra cushion waiting for me at the pond was a godsend. My second miracle in one day. I eased my tired body into one of the pools that evening, stepping carefully on the sandy bottom to avoid any muddy patches that might cloud the waters. Oh, such exquisite ecstasy to be given the gift of warmth in this frigid country. The heat slowly seeped into my blood and bones, and the sweat on my skin dissolved into the water, leaving me clean, relaxed, and ready for a comfortable transition into dreams. As the full moon rose and illuminated the steam that danced across the surface of the pool, I remembered the moonbow I'd seen a week earlier, and I thought about how much good fortune had befallen me lately, despite all the physical challenges and inconveniences. It had been hard work, but I now had my own personal oasis. And by pushing myself for 40 miles, I realized I had unintentionally given myself an extra layover day before I needed to return to civilization. I closed my eyes, leaned back until the water rose up to my chin, and didn't give any further thought to the extra day. I already knew exactly how I wanted to spend it. Hey friends, thank you. Thank you for all you do to keep the Adventure Sports Podcast alive and well. You listen to our amazing guests. Thanks for that. You join our Facebook group and you share your adventures. That's awesome. You join our ASP members community for discounts and to support the show. Very cool. You donate to our Patreon site. Right on. But most of all, thank you for believing in the show. Thank you for joining with us to reach others to share the great stuff that adventure sports bring. We believe that adventure sports help people to live richer, more fulfilling lives. We believe that the Adventure Sports Podcast is making a positive impact in the world through physical health, emotional health, environmental health, and relational health. We have set the challenging goal of doubling our listener base by February the 28th. Wow, really? After nearly three years, we want to double the number of listeners in just a few weeks? You bet. And you make it possible because you believe in ASP. 
Thanks in advance for sharing the dream of a healthier, happier world by telling your friends about the Adventure Sports Podcast. Let's double the good. Together, we can do it. It's official. Winter has arrived, and Bent Gate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. You know, we might be smack dab in the middle of winter these days, but spring is really just right around the corner. Make sure you've got one of our lightweight camp stoves ready to go in your pack for when the weather starts turning warmer. Both the 180 stove and the 180 flame are designed to burn the abundant wood fuels you find on the ground instead of requiring you to haul in heavy, messy camp fuels. Take a minute to head on over to our site at www.180tack.com to check out these American-made stoves that are built to last. You'll be helping us, and you'll be helping the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. The next story, also from the same book, uh, takes place outside of Anaconda, Montana, when I took a day off from working on my fixer-upper house up there. So this, uh, this tale is called Week 7 Without a Paddle. I could tell within the first 10 seconds that this was the most ludicrous scheme I'd thought of in a long while. For one thing, the frigid currents were already numbing my feet. Secondly, Warm Springs Creek could barely contain the swollen waters within its banks, The stream had been raging a month ago, and despite expectations, it had yet to give up its violent tendencies and settle down for the summer. Thirdly, I possessed only a small inner tube and a borrowed paddle to help me float four miles down to the city of Anaconda. This would be no lazy tubing experience with a cooler of alcoholic beverages in tow. This could be my death. Still, I felt compelled to try. I sat back in the tube and was instantly seized by the raucous waters and launched downstream. This far up the valley, the creek was choked by willows, which grew in dense thickets on both sides. They stretched their woody claws out towards me, and I immediately had to start flailing with the paddle, aiming for the narrow opening in the middle of the channel that lay outside their grasp. To my dismay, the paddle only served to spin me about. I was helpless to curb my momentum, which took me straight into the overhanging willow branches on the right side. The current passed beneath them without difficulty, but I was swatted most brutally by the protruding limbs. I fought back with my paddle, and in the midst of this frantic melee, my glass sunglasses were torn from my head. Turning away from my foe, I grabbed at where they had splashed into the water. Miraculously, my fingers found them, but the creek had been waiting for me to take my free hand away from the inner tube, and before I could stabilize my craft, a wave generated by a submerged boulder flung me from my seat and into the water. Now I was in for it. The tube was still floating close enough for me to snatch at it, and somehow my glasses had ended up back on my head, 
but the wooden paddle was swiftly bobbing its way downstream, and I feared it would soon be lost. I strongly considered surrendering my neighbor's paddle to the river gods and striking for shore. A new paddle would be less expensive than medical bills, which were a likely consequence if I decided to continue with this folly. Ultimately, I realized that the current was so strong that reaching a cove on either riverbank would be nearly impossible without an oar to propel me there. My body was being quickly borne downstream towards more rapids, so I slipped back onto the tube to gain a modicum of protection. The paddle rode the choppy surface of the creek not ten feet in front of me. Cursing my predicament, I gritted my teeth and dipped my hands into the chilly water. The chase was on. Paddling with both arms seemed to bring me no closer to my coveted prize. We were both at the mercy of the relentless current. When the paddle became temporarily entangled in the tendrils of a greedy willow, I knew this might be my only chance. I careened past the object of my pursuit before I could grab it, so I snatched instead at a dead branch from the same tree and held on for dear life. I hoped the paddle was not stuck permanently in the branches, but realistically I only had a few seconds to learn its fate one way or another. My fingers were slipping, and the current threatened to sweep my tube out from underneath me at any moment. The willow lost its grip on the paddle at the same time as I lost my grip on the willow. Thankfully, a small amount of frantic splashing slowed my progress and brought me close enough to seize the paddle once more. There was no time to breathe a sigh of relief, for the creek continued to rage down its constricted channel, tossing me about on my pitiable vessel. This was madness. I stared downstream into the unceasing waves and thought hard about my chances of reaching Anaconda alive without a life jacket. The puncturing of the inner tube seemed inevitable as well. When I spied a patch of grassy lawn above the left bank, I went for it. My sunglasses fell from my head and disappeared for good, but I surged towards the shore and escaped the torrent of Warm Springs Creek at last. The landowner spied me dripping water along his driveway and smiled. A bit strong, isn't it? Cold, too, I replied, and made a graceless retreat back to my vehicle. Three miles closer to town, I nervously considered re-entering the creek but this stretch contained a fallen log that lay a few inches above the surface of the water, blocking off most of the channel. In rafting terminology, this was a strainer, an object that allowed water to sweep through, but which trapped boats and people. If I had come down this part of the stream, I don't think I could have paddled away in time. The log would have decapitated me or brained me. Death again. I still wanted a chance to redeem myself so I finally drove right into Anaconda and put in at a public park where the, where the creek was wider. The current was no less fierce, but now I had room to practice my paddling, and I learned how to maneuver away from the treacherous branches and boulders along the water's edge. Having gained just enough control to blunt the sharp edge of fear, I started to have fun, and for the first time I could spare a split second or two to gaze at the wildlife in the vicinity, like the cedar waxwings. They flitted from tree to tree across the restless water with a coat of feathers as sleek as a weasel's, looking for berries to pluck and devour. I found an inaccessible beach at the far end of the park and spent a half an hour laid out on a patch of grass, using the rubber tube as a pillow and letting the sunlight restore warmth to my chilled blood and skin. The test run had been successful. Now I thought I could risk a much longer journey, floating until I reached my bicycle, which I had stashed a mile away on the downstream side of town. I returned to the creek with my paltry watercraft, but before I could escape the city, I found myself hurtling towards an unmistakable strainer. A bridge straddled the banks of the stream, low enough so that the water passed only a foot below the steel girders. This was the one, the one that could kill me. First would come the concussion, and then I'd get pinned underneath the bridge. I could hear the newspaper editorials in my head saying, 
Really, what did he expect was going to happen going out there in those conditions? Escape routes along the steep banks of Warm Springs Creek had been in short supply. But as luck would have it, a resident next to the bridge had mowed her lawn right up to the water's edge, and I paddled furiously to reach it. I made it onto land before the current could suck me under the bridge, then crossed the road and plopped back into the creek for the final time. Now I was enthused with pleasure, singing pirate shanties, wielding my paddle like a trusty battle axe, and exulting at having defied death once again. Adrenaline coursed through my veins, triggered by my speed and by the thrill of ever-present danger, but eventually the euphoria was unable to mask the numbing cold that had sunk into my bones. This water contained too much snowmelt to be good for my health. I was never blessed with much in the way of fat reserves, and my body hungered for another break in a sunny field. Alas, the sheer sides of the stream bed kept me confined in my turbulent course. The creek had found a way to kill me, although slowly this time. My teeth began shattering uncontrollably, causing my entire head to shake until my vision became jittery as well. I scanned the shorelines for a way out, but there was not a single patch of slack water to be found. No calm places or coves, just endless rapids. As much as I loved riding my bucking bronco of an inner tube, enough was enough. My blood temperature was plummeting, and I began to worry that I was about to pass the place where I'd stashed my bike. To exit the creek, I realized that I needed one hand to hold the paddle, one hand to clutch the tube, and one hand to grab a branch or anything I could use to slow myself down. That's three hands. But then, at last, I found it. A grassy bank with a gravelly approach, and I flung myself towards it like a shipwrecked sailor. Shivering and dripping, I scrambled up the bank into open country and saw with grateful eyes that I was exactly where I needed to be. My bicycle carried me back to my Jeep, and my Jeep brought me home to a warm shower. That night, I ate an entire roasted chicken and began to sneeze uncontrollably. I didn't think it was possible to catch a cold in such a swift and straightforward fashion, but that's exactly what happened, thanks to a seriously compromised immune system. The day had been insane and insanely fun. Next time, however, I'll ask my neighbor if I can borrow a paddle and a wetsuit. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read more tales of misadventure, the first off-the-map book, along with my guidebook, Renegade Car Camping, are available for free to my newsletter subscribers. Sign up at offthemapbooks.com. Paperback editions of the whole Off the Map trilogy can be found at amazon.com. Safe travels, everyone. Thanks for listening to part two of ASP Stories' Brian Snyder. You can get more information on Brian in his books from offthemapbooks.com. You can also listen to his previous interviews on episodes 135 and 302. He'll be back on next Saturday with part three, his final readings from his books. So make sure you check that one out as well. Until then, get out and have some fun.